Hello and welcome to a special presentation from In The Money Media. It's the season two premiere of the Pro Player Diary with Sean Borman. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker. Once again, speaking to a man who is in Lexington, Kentucky, where I understand the weather is not beautiful today. He is the titular pro player of the show, your reigning Breeders' Cup betting challenge champion. Hey, Sean Borman. Sean, what's up? What's going on, Pete? Did I hear that correctly, that it's a little gloomy over there? Man, it's been gloomy for weeks, it seems like. <laughs> it's actually not as bad today. You could like at least tell that the sun exists today, but it's not <laughs> nice by any stretch. What have you been up to playing-wise since last we talked? Did you take any kind of break? Uh, did, did you stick with Hong Kong throughout the, the, the season? What's been You've been looking at the U.S. at all? Just give us the State of the Union. Um, you know, I took, I may have taken a week or so, um, before like seriously getting back into things. Um, but I did, you know, I kept up with Hong Kong and, and made some small plays even when I was quote, not paying attention, but, uh, mainly since, you know, late November, I've just been all Hong Kong until last weekend. And I started paying a little more attention in the U.S. with that Gulfstream card. Well, we had a Hong Kong form line to look at, too. And that's what, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, one of these situations in racing where I think you were probably absolutely right in your in your hypothesis, but uh, didn't get the results, something a lot of people can relate to. But we'll put a pin in, uh, in, in warm heart for now, and we'll talk a, a little bit about just what's been going on in Hong Kong. I mean, have you has your approach changed at all? Is it has it been the same uh, approach as before? Like, basically, how much did winning the BCBC change anything in your betting big picture, if at all? You know, it didn't really change much. Um... I tried to, I tried to be very careful to not let it change much and not, you know, just as we've talked about before, you know, go from zero to 60 too fast and, and just, you know, get annihilated. Um, so it hasn't really changed. It's been, you know, still sort of just hunting for, you know, big score opportunities more than trying to churn money. Um, I missed, uh, missed one really good opportunity that i you know, miss bet pretty badly, but it's been, it's been about the same. I'm, I'm pretty happy with where things are right now. Uh, how would you describe your results? I mean, have you, have you hit any of those scores? Have you been grinding out a profit? What's been going on big picture? Um, yeah, I've hit a couple. Um, I hit one, I had a good weekend last weekend, um, not at Gulfstream, but at, um, I, I hit a race pretty good in Hong Kong that night. And, you know, one thing that's going on in Hong Kong specifically is, you know, starting to see a lot more of the late money um, odds changes than we, really? than we used to. Like it's, yeah, it feels like there's a bigger player in those pools now that wasn't there last season or they've changed their approach and they're, they're, they're getting in later. With um, all that liquidity, it just amazes me that that could ever be a problem. Yeah, man, it's uh, the, the the race I cashed. Um, now, granted, this was a Zach Purton horse, and he's you know the top guy over there, and you know is always bet. Yeah, but you know he was he was from a wide post, but had the best figure and was tactical. So I, you know, I knew Zach would get him in a good spot, and he was 
16 or 17 to one when betting opened and, and was right around 15 to one until like five minutes to post. And then money just started coming. And he went from like nine to one to four to one in the last like two flashes in, in, in that liquidity. Um, How big he, of a bet that is? God, it's gotta be, it's gotta be enormous. Um, and it probably wasn't just one bet. It was probably just, you know, the, he was the clear value. So it was probably multiple groups knowing that. Um, but even the, even the exacta, you know, I bet the exacta in that race and it went from about 90 to one to 31 to one or 30 to one in, in a couple cycles. So there, it was a, you know, it was, it was the obvious value in the race. So it's not super surprising, but it's the moves are getting bigger in Hong Kong than they used to be in my, in my opinion. So it's just, it's made it a little trickier than, yeah. than it used to be. So one of the fun things about these shows is, you, you know, we can be so much more informal with the, the, the sponsorship situation or, or lack thereof at this point. But if, if we get, if we ever get one on here, it would only be somebody, um, who, who would let us say whatever we want because otherwise there's no no point in doing a show like this and it can be a two-way street i can tell i'll can talk about you know in the money business in ways i i can't normally the reason i bring this up is to go back to the hkir races where we went from the past few years i've had multiple sponsors doing content and we've had some fun and done some fun shows this time couldn't get one. I had a couple of people like basically back out at the last minute. So we didn't actually end up doing anything on the HKR IR races on the, on the main network, which was a bummer not least because I didn't get an opportunity to talk to you about them beforehand. But how was that night this year? You know, that's a, typically a, a great night of racing. How was it? How did the competition there shape up compared to years previous? And were you able to make any noise on the big night? Um, you know, I, I've gotten to where what you just said is it's a great night of racing, but it's not a great night of gambling for me because you have so many horses come in, specifically the Japanese horses that I just don't have a good beat on. Um, so I, you know, I had a, I had a, every, you know, every year I've told myself this the last couple of seasons, I'd be like, just, you know don't go overboard on this night because you don't really have the edge that you, you do on regular nights. And I, you know, didn't listen and had a, <laughs> a losing night, not a, not a bad night by any stretch, but just, you know, I didn't, I didn't pay attention because it's hard to, you know, you want to get them watch these good races and there's always some little angle you can find, but sure. um, yeah, you know, it's, I, I need to, I need to just sort of, I might even just take that night off from now on um unless i come up with a way to get better japanese info yeah that shouldn't be impossible right i mean in the same way it took a while but now you feel like that your uk information is an advantage like we talked about uh on the last time we did the show when we were reflecting on your bcbc there's got to be the equivalent in japan um have you done any digging have you done any any legwork on that or maybe is that something i can uh i could start working on i mean i i think a guy you know like uh like toshio nakubo who's on these airwaves who knows so many people like we th- there's probably a way to get the equivalent of um there surely are people doing speed figures and, and maybe we just need a little bit of cultural exchange yeah i just haven't found a great um database of their like sectional info yeah um, 
so that you know that's the that's the big issue for me if we could get you know three or four years worth of sectionals I, you know i know paul matisse has done some figure work over there um but it's still it's just it's cumbersome and, and time consuming and i just don't have the you know the the full desire to to do it especially we you know if we could bet into their a pools and, right and take All advantage of that then that, that would be worth worth oh, doing yeah. but right now you can't so I mean, right. The B pools, you see opportunities. Obviously, we promote the JRA racing here, so now you know I'm speed. I am, I am uh, shilling a bit for a client. It's, it's, it's certainly better than nothing. But at the level at which you're looking to do to do it, and the amount of, uh, and the amount of time and info uh, you would need, I can see why you have that attitude. But yeah, if there's anybody listening who who has information about data in Japan specifically vis-a-vis sectionals and I'll, I'll make some inquiries myself it feels like that could be fun and hopefully in future we're going to have lots of coverage of that stuff too on the network and it'd be super fun to be able to to be able to to talk about it tell me a little bit more about uh you know you it doesn't sound like the mechanics of your betting or anything at all have changed since the big score in the bc bc what about in life and any Funny stories, good moments, uh, things you've had uh, since the last time we talked about it, uh, ways in which the BCBC win might have uh, changed slash improved things in, in your life? Um, you know, it's it's it may have legitimized me in, in some people's eyes a little bit more. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working on trying to get, get more access to the Hong Kong um, super – exotic pools and that's a sort of been a long process but it it involves sort of setting up something offshore um and that's i think the you know the public the big public score has sort of helped helped in that a little bit um people know you're 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 the real deal in other words like google's new and they're gonna see that and they're gonna be like all right this sounds like a guy who's worth uh bending over backwards a little bit for to help get access to, to, to this. Is that, is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. And then just even stuff like, you know, when you're talking about having a offshore bank account, you know, there's like anti-money laundering stuff that they need, you know, they look into and they look into your background and just, you know, when you, they ask for a source of funds and you say, well, it's gambling winnings. Then yes. you know, now there's actual proof that, that that's the case publicly versus just me saying yeah i'm a gambler and here's my tax yeah, information you so. got to imagine somebody in that business hears that and it's you know it, it it's it's not one red flag it's a whole uh, parade of red flags so yeah <laughs> you can definitely see having that how would that be helpful what about as a lexington person like i i would imagine that more than most places people would in your just sort of social orbit would hear about and or care. I feel like if somebody from Brooklyn did that, you know, yeah. I mean, amongst your inner circle, your people are going to be impressed, but the outer world, not going to know at all. How has that, how has that been? Has it, has it, have you, have you heard from other like local people that you hadn't expected or uh, I'm just curious to get a sense of this. Yeah. There's, you know, the, I got, a, you know, obviously I got a lot of text messages right after it happened for, from people, you know, that day that were paying attention, but even, you know, for a couple of weeks afterwards, as the, as the press releases and stuff came out, I would get, I would get texts, but so the, the strangest ones for me were like 
my wife's tennis buddies that <laughs> like are apparently derelict gamblers uh, that that follow you know, follow some of the Twitter accounts that we follow. And she would come home from tennis and be like, you know, so-and-so said, congratulations. And I was like, well, how, how, how the hell did she know? But it's, yeah. So it's, it's been a little interesting, but not, you know, nothing too, nothing too crazy. Hopefully this doesn't lead to like hundreds of extra people on any big racing day asking you for tips. No, I don't think it will. Uh, you know, they, they, they just usually what happens is I'll give them a couple of losers and they never really ask again. So it's, uh, I guess it could be, I guess derby season could be a little more interesting this, this year with stuff like that. And that's, that's possible. Very, very funny to see how that happens. So there, there's a whole etiquette around this stuff. Oh, I had an etiquette one. I had a story I wanted to tell you from the, from the Pegasus, I, I couldn't believe this one. And then we'll get, we'll, we'll dive into the particulars, but in the spirit is of it, conversations we were going to have anyway, I'll throw this one at you. Is it, is it JK photobombing Nick Luck's fucking TV appearance? Is that what, I mean, that was, that was some slight, slight etiquette. breach of etiquette. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, JK, we know you want to put NBC on your resume, but you, that's not the way to go about it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Just, I think that was an inside job from Fox. That's what that was. <laughs> sort of like the, the, the NWO in, invading. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's Hollywood Hogan. He's just good. <laughs> Very funny. No, this one was... I won't name him. He's a nice, I think he's a nice guy, though. This story, to the contrary, that we, we eventually achieved detente in the end. So I went in, uh, you know, this is a very friendly guy. We're sitting, you know, sitting and having a time at the table. I, I was, I got a lot of 10 minute breaks from doing the UKTV on, uh, on Saturday. So I'd go back to the table and, you know, he threw, he's like, oh, I threw together a, a pick five ticket. Like, do you want a part of it without looking at the ticket? to be convivial. I was just like, yeah, whatever, you know, it's a couple hundred bucks and you yeah. just be, want to be uh, in on the, in on the action. And I don't typically, I don't bet nearly as much of my own stuff when I'm on TV. Cause it's distracting, you know, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't make me, it makes me a better broadcaster to have a lot of picks, but it doesn't necessarily make me a better broadcaster to, uh, to, to be like actually gambling on every race that I'm, that I'm talking about. So I just figured it'd be a good, good way to get action anyway. So we roll through, we're, we're sitting, uh, we're sitting four of four, or I think I noticed it when we were three of three, but for the purposes of the story, I'll say we were four, we were four for four. And, and it's, it's uh, his opinion in, in the big race was to be against national treasure. You know, the end of the story, it didn't work out, mm-hmm. but, uh, I was sh- I was sort of surprised, not shocked. Look, he didn't have Buscador on the ticket, who is the horse that I'd been, you know, I know the guy listens to stuff, and and, and this is a, a horse that I'd been talking about, you know, ever since they drew as the horse that I liked in the race. And so, so I asked him, you know, oh, oh, I'm just surprised. I was mad. I was like, you didn't put Senor Buscador on the ticket. And he's like, no, but but I played another ticket for me with that horse, with Buscador on it. I was like, what? Like the etiquette of this to me, Sean, was not good. You don't. Yeah, that's dicey. Yeah, it's question. I mean, hey, to be fair, he copped to it. Like, it's not like he was hiding it. I just think he didn't have an understanding of the etiquette. I mean, when you're betting in one of these pools um, in a group ticket, it's like, I feel like it's supposed to be. 
it's supposed to be you against the you, you and your pals against the the the, the rest of the crowd. And I, it, I'm not saying it's bad to put in your own ticket necessarily, but I think you say that up front, don't you? You don't. You don't I, give I, me cert- I think you certainly need to disclose it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think you know that it's. You know, if Buscador gets up and wins that, and the thing pays enormous, uh, that's just a bad look. Yeah, right? and we did. I, mean, I I did when we discovered it. I I did say, dude, that's that's kind of not cool. Um, yeah. I said I'm going to be betting the horse anyway. One of the horses I was going to just bet anyway, so I'm not too fussed about it. But I did say this: if that horse wins, you you are buying dinner, and I am playing raid the wine list. And yeah. he. He accepted those terms. So, you know, I would have got not probably, I don't know. What do you think it would have paid with, with Buscador six, 7,000, something like that. And, you know, I would, have, I would have had a third of it. So it would have, it would have roughly been roughly been like me picking up dinner. <laughs> if, if the right wines were ordered, um, depending on how big the party was, but it, uh, I felt good with the compromise, but you know, come on, people use your, use your noodle. You're not supposed to do things like that. Yeah, I think, you know, anytime you have a financial interest in other people's money and your own, I think it all needs to be out in the open and, you know, in the beginning. beginning. Yeah. I think it's just, that's just the best policy in my opinion. There's, isn't there the famous story of, of, uh, I think it was Gulfstream press box days. I think Steve Chris tells this in betting on myself where he they did a group ticket and this was a really interesting one because they it's the etiquette is a little different they did a group ticket and everybody hated a horse that steve liked in in the pick six so in that instance steve felt justified to go ahead and in addition to being in on the group ticket play his ticket with the horse that only he liked who who he ended up being alive to in the last race and he revealed this to buyer who get, who dressed him down apparently and said something to the effect of I'm going to be rooting against that horse with every fiber of my being um, or something to that effect. <laughs> I don't think the horse won, but I think Steve sort of learned his lesson that like, you know, learned some class of lesson about, about etiquette. Now I actually think, Again, you say that you did that in advance. Like I would never, I don't think I'd ever question it, you know, especially if it's horse that you have a disagreement on. Of course it's okay to me. Exactly. Yeah. If, if you know, if they've talked about the sequence and, and nobody wanted a penny of, of their money going through that horse, then I think you've settled the matter right there. Like they should be totally fine with him playing his own ticket to that horse because they didn't want any part of it. Yeah. Whereas in it's, your situation, it's only, like, it's, you it, like it's only logical, but it's interesting. Um, known in terms of, of time, old he had school. his other ticket with him live. Hang on, I lost you. And maybe you said, "Well, I'd much rather have part of that ticket than this ticket, or both tickets, or or whatever." You know. So I think, I think that's that's just you know you need to discuss it and get it out up front. Yeah, I think that, I think that's about right, and and only and only makes sense. Love all those old stories. Do you read the? Do you ever read the the Christ memoir? Oh yeah, yeah, I love yeah. that book. All those old books are great, with the, especially the stories. Oh yeah, that's the that's a funny thing about the buyer books in in particular 
know, obviously all the figure stuff is great, but what really separates him is this isn't some dry recitation of formulas and statistics. It's these amazing, it's these amazing old stories. And honestly, you know, obviously I'm very proud of the Harvey Pack book that I did, but in one of the buyer books, I think it's Winning Horse Player, he's got stories that that he tells some of the Harvey stories that he tells better than Harvey or, you know, Harvey slash me, which is, which yeah. is kind of amazing and, uh, and, and fun. It would be, it would be great. I mean, I do think it's one of the best things about tournaments. And I think back to your BCBC score specifically when I'm saying this, but one great thing about these live tournaments is I feel like it's the closest thing we have towards getting back to those old days. Cause so many of those guys stories is, you know, we're sitting around the track or we're driving to the track. And a cool thing about tournaments is being able to, to, to sort of get back a little bit towards that. And, and at least, I don't know. I mean, d- d- did it, I'm not saying you would have had any worse experience uh, winning the BCBC sitting back in, in your office with your family that much closer to you, but I don't know. Did, did it add anything to it to be surrounded by by horse players on site while that was going on? Absolutely. Yeah. No, it, it, Marshall and I have actually talked about this because Marshall was at home when he won his. Totally. And just just having, you know, having Nick and Marshall and Pat Cummins and Jack Jenkins and all those guys there, it made it so much more special um, to me because it, you know, I do most of my work at home now and I, I really miss being at the track and, and, you know, being in the room with Mike and all the clowns that would show up there and, and, you know, being at Keeneland during the live meet and, you know, having to fight the crowd to get to the window and like that added something to, to your work day that, you know, for me at least is really missing now. So I, I, it was, it was a blast to have everybody there. Um, and especially when you showed up right before the last race, because I hadn't really seen you all weekend. So to have, <laughs> you know, and, and to see JK afterwards and get a you know big hug, and it was awesome. It was I, I still think about that weekend every single day. Oh, that's um, great. That's that's cool. And we talk about that sometimes. There's money and the winds of money, but the emotional value, that like warm feeling that you get when you think about something, and. I could totally see that being able to to share it, sharing it with people in real time. Yeah, I mean, what did Marshall do? High five himself? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know. You win that amount of money, and and the you know the prestige of winning that event, it's going to be fucking great regardless. But just having that camaraderie and some of your closest racing friends there with you um, just made it just extra special to me. It's the cherry on top of the Sunday for sure. But I also just think like in terms of the lifestyle of what you do, I mean, you've had it, you've experienced it both ways where you had the equivalent of, of going into an office and you've had the, the solo experience. And I think it's a bit like work from home in general. Yes. There are aspects of work from home that are incredible and better and more efficient. And it should, to me, absolutely be a part of the modern work world going forward. But whether you're, you're, you're a horse player or a publishing person or, or whatever, that like added experience of being able to be with people and just share whether it's the minutia 
of your day around the water cooler or, or, or coffee machine or, you know, sharing a success and bust, bust open a bottle to celebrate the book becoming a bestseller or whatever it is like having, the, having those moments for your work and being able to share them in person with people at times anyway, there's no, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's no substitute for FaceTime. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's, you know, it's, Working is Norman mad about something? What's going on there? He he's he's rubbing his ears. He's shaking around. He's, you know, Norman's getting to be a pretty crotchety old man. Um, <laughs> now he's now he's rubbing his face on the carpet. He must be itchy or something. But they're happy. But this, this is this is a great illustration. Like this is my day now. Like I yeah. I talk to fucking Norman all day. Um, so you know, if I if I score out at three a.m down in the basement in hong kong like it's it's fun but it's not you know it uh you know the 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 time i was alive for that pick six for you know seven figures i was completely by myself i tried to wake my wife up to come watch the last race with me and she just slept through it i was just standing in the in the kitchen that night in my boxers like you know i was like i didn't know what to do i just wanted to tell somebody even after I lost, I wanted to tell somebody the story. So I just typed this big story out to my high school buddy's group text and waited for them to wake up and read it. So I, I mean, it's, you know, it's much better to be at the track. Oh, that's, that's very funny. All right. I've acquired, this is a, another just completely crazy tangent, the kind of thing we can only do on this show. Um, I, and I say, I bring this up for your piece of it, I bring it up with, with, with zero judgment. And I'm, I'm not even really judging the other person in, in, in the story, um, but but it was just something that made my like teeth itch a little. So, you know, I don't really curse on these airwaves. Once in a blue moon, I'll get like taken out of my thing and I'll, I will, but it's pretty, it's pretty rare. And it's just, I think it's because my dad was a, you know, commercial broadcaster, right? So you just did not, you curse, you lose your job, right? So that's sort of how I learned it. And I just, for whatever reason, I, I, I carry I carry that forward. You clearly, and again, no judgments, no problem, dropping the occasional uh, F-bomb. And, and often it's for emphasis and, and, and hilarious. And obviously it's no problem whatsoever. However, at the Eclipse Awards, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Uh, I, I do. Which I thought had a lot of truth and excellent stuff in it. I didn't love it. I didn't love it. I didn't love it. Does that make me like, uh, 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 does that make me a prude, a, a conservative weirdo? Um, what, what, where do you, where do you, as someone who curses much more freely than I do on air stand with that cussing? I mean, I think you need to know when and where to curse, honestly. Um, do you curse in front of your kids? Do I curse in front of my kids? No, I do not. Every yes. now and then I'll let something slip, but I, I try my hardest and I actually love the fact that I think the first F bomb that was dropped in front of our, our oldest was from my wife and not me. So that's (laughs) very funny because, you know, honestly, like I curse a lot because when I was growing up, my dad cursed all the time. And then, you know, so I was, you know, and he's the greatest guy ever. And he had a massive heart attack almost 30 years ago and completely changed his right life around and doesn't, you know, doesn't really curse anymore. He, you know, he channeled his, what his anger and what used to 
set him off. Like he's just a different dude now after that. Fast. But I was, I was hearing, you know, bleep this and bleep that when I was young. And I, and, and then I, you know, I started listening to rap music when I was young and it's, it's just, it just was what I became. Um, and I don't necessarily want my girls growing up going to the office saying, fuck you and this and that. So I try to limit it to, you know, mainly to Norman in these airwaves, of course, I'm not, I'm not going to stop on these airwaves. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I just don't know if, if the Eclipse Awards or any award show is really the, the right avenue even you know but he you know rapoli's he's he's almost become a uh, wrestling figure at this point yeah. he's just sort of worked himself into a shoot it seems like and his yes his twitter persona you know it's just all a you know i don't know i mean he's i mean he's almost Recent news, not you know, not part of the equation. He's almost the Vince McMahon at this point. Like he's the you know, he's the owner. He's the commish. Like, come on, what do we? I don't, I don't know what he's doing. Um, so, I think it's simple, and I really think it comes down to. And I wouldn't advise him to do it exactly the way he did. If I was booking him, if I was booking him, I think I could make money. You know, I think I think you could really get the the directional persona of the his character is basically the disruptor right <laughs> here's this industry more than anything needs and, and i guess that's what it is and that's why i refuse to, to to be too critical of him even though there's some things that i am critical of is i don't want to be too critical of him because i think in some sense he's exactly what the industry needs and i feel like the words he said the other night there was a lot of truth in them yeah no i i, I think that's i think that's exactly right i mean Nothing else has worked, right? I mean, so if it takes a, a big brash cursing, you know, <laughs> character to to at least get people talking, then so be it. Um, because the, you know, nothing anybody's done for the last thirty years has really fixed anything. It's probably just worse. So I just wonder. I if still you- like I. I personally, I don't think I would have. You know, if I if I was accepting the horse player of the year award at the Eclipse, I wouldn't have, you know, been like, look how fucking screwed up everything is here. Look, you know, I I just would have not dropped the f bombs, I guess. But right, I I think the two the two things I thought he should have done. He's talking about, and he noted the irony of this. But if you want to talk about working together, it's undermined when you run over your time and pretend you don't care and pretend like you're the only one who matters. Because when you run over your time at an award show, you're acting like your time, your words are more important than, than, than everybody else. Okay. And that doesn't go well with the message of, Hey, I'm asking all of you to, to not think about yourselves. Right. It's a selfish, it's a fundamentally selfish act. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And you know, and, and, and then you, so it's undermining when you're then telling other people not to be selfish. And then the other thing is just maybe me being, you know, old world or whatever. I don't like cursing in front of kids. You know, I just don't like it. It's weird, but maybe it's yeah. weird. Yeah. No, I, I, I can't disagree. It's just, it's boorish. I think is, is a, is a term I would come up with, but anyway, root, nonetheless, I think we're both, you know, essentially message wise, couldn't be rooting for the guy more. <laughs> 
So um, maybe just some of the ad hominem attacks could take a back seat to more of the, the good ideas about cooperation, et cetera. So we'll see where they go with that. We'll see where they go with that. Um, yeah. Uh, let's talk about this weekend. So what, I think when I eventually, when I originally reached out to you about the Pegasus card, I think your exact quote was, I don't feel great about my data down there now. So I don't even know if I'm going to play. So what changed, what changed your mind? Um, I, and I still don't feel good about about the figure making down there, but it it was really, you know, when I glanced through the turf races, I just thought I saw some opportunity, you know, betting on Didia instead of the Cherie de Vaux horse because I I knew my figure on that horse from Churchill was was a lot lower than the published figure. And I know that was a very hard figure to do because the turf course at Churchill was such a mess. Yep. Um, so that felt like a little bit of an opportunity. And then I also had negative feelings about warm heart from her Hong Kong race. And so I, those two, you know, opinions I, I, those two opinions, I, I very briefly thought, well, if I could, you know, and I gamed out the math and, and everything for the contest. If I can just go all in on Didia and roll that into an all in on integration, then, you know, what, what does that get me? Does that get me to the right target? Um, but I still, none of the dirt races I felt good about at all. Um, just because a lot of the gold, a lot of the local horses, I don't have figures for, it's just a nightmare to do figures down there. So I, we're, we're just not doing them. Um, but I ultimately decided not to play the contest because I, I thought I could get within shouting distance, similar to you know the spot I was in in the BCBC. But then I didn't want to make a bet in that in that last race. I didn't want to be sitting there really in no man's land with like forty thousand and and have to make a ten or fifteen thousand dollar bet to try to win this thing. Um, in a race I just hated. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm not, I know a lot of people would be like, well, you could just sit and get seats and, and whatever, but I, that's, you know, that's not really what, what I was interested in doing. I didn't want to risk a $6,000 entry to get seats, um, and, and risk real cash in that last bet. I, you know, I, if I could win a couple hundred thousand again, then that, that was different, but so I just didn't feel I, I just didn't feel like I I needed to be involved in the contest, but I did. You know, those two races were part of that turf pick three, so I did play that pretty heavily, um, and I got live. <laughs> you know, this is this is a great example of why I should have been playing that card, but I got live to six horses for you know over ten thousand each, and didn't didn't hit the top four because <laughs> I was against Warm Heart, and none of those I read. Integration, I guess, was my was going to be my best result and finished ahead of all the other ones, but he was fifth. So um, that uh, just didn't didn't work. Let's go back to the first race of that of that sequence um, for starters, which was a it was a stakes race, right? Was that the McKnight where you had? Um, you it know, was the, the Francisco Clemente, I think, horse. Yes, 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 yes. Now I, I had copped to my error in that race on the other show. Not sure if you listened yet. I just didn't look. The horse probably would have won anyway. He won so easily, 
But I just thought it was a good illustration of, I don't know if Mike ever talked to you about this, but it's in the book and he's talked to me about it for sure, about the idea of you guard the time after the scratches come in. Well, when that 16 F5 horse got in that race, it really changed it. And all of a sudden, I really do believe Francesco was was probably holding all the cards at that point. I didn't. I never adjusted in my betting and, and, and tried to beat him. And we, we all we all saw how that worked out. How did how many did you use in that race? Uh, I used just two. Uh, but yeah, I think I just used two. But I, I singled him out as my like press press because you know it's interesting you brought that up. Um, and I assume you're saying that because like the when that horse drew in, the pace was certainly going to be faster. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, but that horse I would have had him clear. I don't know how it looked on your figures, figures, but without him in there, a tone uh, cellist looked loose, like three lengths yeah. loose. Even though he's a darn closer, and then when the sixteen got in, you you had a horse with real speed, right? Um, well, that that Clemente horse was sort of just a dominant, like extremely dominant late pace horse, mm-hmm. and that was he's he's the type that I would sort of classify as um, the pace scenario doesn't matter because if they don't go fast enough, he's going to be too close and he's going to outfinish you. If they go super fast, he's certainly going to outfinish you. There just wasn't a bad pace. He was like, like elite power to me in the, in the British cup sprint where there, there just was not a bad pace scenario for that horse um, because he was such an elite, elite late pace horse. So um I mean, it certainly helped that they went they went fast. But if he's sitting, you know, if they're going slow and he's sitting mid pack, I think he's going to win anyway. I hear you. I was worried because he was. I thought that the fact that he had been a habitual bad breaker and no pace, those are the things that made me try to get cute and uh, and lean in the Verstappen direction. Was Verstappen the other horse you used? Uh, yes, it was. It yeah, was. and I'm trying to. I'm pulling up that those PPs right now. I want to see. Yeah, have you done Just figures you- out of the race? Because I think it's an interesting question for Stappen. Was it was it a move into a fast pace, or is he a non-stayer? I'm curious what your what your numbers say on that. You know, I pulled the uh, I pulled the variant report up yesterday and took a glance at it, and it's it's so wonky. Um, I didn't have the mental energy to actually dig into <laughs> it. I'm, I'm going to do them, um, but. Because these turf races with the different rail settings and run-ups, it's just, it's a nightmare. Yeah, so that, that Francisco Clemente horse, hold on, one quick. That horse had a 114 late pace figure last time, um, which is unheard of. So he, he might be a real turf horse, like yeah. Breeders' Cup type horse. Very interesting. That, that That's very good information going forward and, and, and one who, uh, yeah, I mean, we were all talking about integration as the one who could come out of the weekend looking like the, you know, the, 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 the pretender to the throne of up to the mark as the USA turf horse that, uh, USA based anyway, that, that can compete with the internationals. Maybe we, maybe we had the, maybe we had the wrong horse. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's the French Clemente. Yeah. He's, uh, he, he, he could be real good. I mean, he's got a real solid, you know, he's, he's got the credentials to be, to be extremely good. So uh, what were you going to ask me? He's, he's, he's just an interesting horse pedigree wise too. the, you know, obviously it's the, it's the the best cross in the world, right? Dubawi and, and, and Galileo. And it's interesting that he was, 
So he was, I'm totally confused. The breeder is listed as White Birch Farm SC. Does that mean South Carolina? So he's bred, and that's Peter Brandt. But like, obviously he, he, how, how can that horse be? But he's not American bred. I don't know how the yeah. rules. That must be that must be part of it. I don't know if we can count him or not legitimately as a as an American uh, as, as as an American horse. Okay, so the question with Verstappen is: Oh no, we we went over that. The next question was: You mentioned about the figures being so difficult to make. Are you speaking specifically? Well, I mean, I imagine it's because three surfaces, so you don't have as many instances throughout the day of each yeah. surface, and then. Com- then combined with that, the problem is with the turf course having the different rail settings and runoffs. Correct. All all of the above just leads to to fewer data points, fewer reliable data points, um, and it's just not a circuit that I have much interest on a day to day basis of really even looking at anymore. So it's just you know why spend the time to to do the figures if you're not betting down there all the time. Like on a, on a one-off, it's easy enough to go back. And if you need a figure, you know, we can get it quickly. So it's not, you know, it's just not worth fooling with. When you, did you default to any professional figure makers figures as a proxy for the ones that you didn't have? No, I still, I still can't bring myself to do it. Um, <laughs> Because it just you used Briss you with know, the years I, back, you used Briss with great success. I did, um, but I'm, you know, if I was playing more serious in the U.S., I would, I would probably try to maybe do that. But you know, quite honestly, like I just think I'm going to keep. I'm going to say our figures now because I do have some help making them, but like. They're just better than what's out there, in my opinion. So it it just sort of internally pains me to to bet my own money off of data that I feel like is inferior to what I could have if I, you know, put the work in. So I just choose not to do it. Um, and you know, if that makes me arrogant, then it does. But I just you know, I know my figures are are really good and give me the best edge so why why not you know why use something i know isn't as good figure making question for you sean you talked about your figures being the best am i correct in saying you're not being arrogant necessarily when you say that obviously they're they're very good they're a sound methodology they they present the way you do your figures as we've talked about different than others with the sectional components but is some of what you're saying makes them the best just the fact that nobody else has them yeah for sure i mean it's anytime you can you can have some sort of proprietary data that you know can can provide an edge in, in really any market i think it's I think it makes it the best. Um, but, you know, over the years, I've dabbled in every other figure that's out there. And I just felt like consistently mine were better and more accurate and provided more of an edge. And that's why I've, you know, sort of kept with it. Because I, I, listen, I would love to not have to make figures or really trip races or do any of this shit. Um, <laughs> But I don't, you know, I, I know the, the, the output is worth it. You know, it's just, that's how, 
every good, every single thing that went well for me last year was directly related to a figure that I'd made. Everyone. So, you know, that's, it's hard to, it's hard to look back and say, I should stop doing this when that's, when that's the case. I want to get back to Star Fortress, the Cherie DeVoe horse and that figure specifically, because that, that was a really, I thought that was a really interesting case and I want to drill down on it. But to this point about figures, when we talked about the year when you came back before you were fully revved up and making your own figures again and you were using Briss successfully, I'm also imagining that's, I, I'm not going to imagine you're going to sit there and tell me you think Briss is a better figure than, than buyer or, or time form. Is it more the case of you don't see that many? I mean, honestly, I haven't heard of too many serious players using those figures. So, again, maybe is that scarcity part of their appeal? And then the other thing about Briss figures, of course, is they do include a late pace component that's just absent from all the other commercial figures. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the Briss stuff is, I would say it's probably you know what? I would say it's better than those other figures. I don't know if it's more accurate. But I think it's better for the exact reason you just laid out is it gives you a full pace line to work with. And that's, you know, when Mike and I were working together, you know, he made a deal with Briz to to make a sort of a custom um, past performance for us. And it was the Briz PPs. And then we had the ability to input our own figures and have them calculated and trip notes and biases and stuff. And so we got to sit there for years and see our stuff side by side with the Briss stuff. And that was, you know, I've, I've made late pace figures for turf races from the very beginning of, of my, you know, horse player journey, but seeing the Briss stuff really opened my eyes to how important the late pace stuff was in dirt racing. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, when I came back, I did, I sort of modeled my sort of new figures off the Briz idea of a full pace line. Um, Let's define that. It's, I, define that for the un, in, in, uninitiated. So it's E1, E2. Is there an LP and a final? Correct. And uh, I believe on Briz... E1 in sprint races is gate to first quarter and E2 would be gate to half mile. Mm-hmm. And in routes, it's E1 would be gate to half mile and E2 would be gate to three quarters of a mile, sort of the traditional quote pace call um, in each race. And then the final is obviously the entire race. It's a final figure. And then the late pace figure would be, if I remember correctly, pace call to the, to the finish. Yes. Um, and I sort of took that idea. I added a, I added an E3, um, for on my figures, the E1 stays the first quarter in routes and then E2 would be half mile. E3 would be three quarters of a mile. And then when you get into like extended, like 10 furlongs and up, it sort of shifts out a position to, you know, just goes farther into the race. Um, and then I, I sort of tweak the LP from where it's calculated on some of the distances too, but it's, it's all the same sort of methodology and idea 
to just capture exactly what's happening at each point in the race and sort of show you where the fast part of the race is, you know, and you combine that with trips and it really gives you a good idea of like if somebody did move too quickly into a fast pace or if they can, you know, if they can withstand a fast pace and still finish stuff like that. Yeah. Trying to find the difference, you know, Verstappen being the example that's on the tip of my brain, because it just happened is I think half the people are going to see that and say, Hey, you maybe might've attended a, fast pace i'll give him another chance he's won at 12 furlongs before and half the people are going to say wait a second frankie dettori was up the horse was in the right spot every second of the race he doesn't want to go that far and when you look at component figures like you have it gives you a real insight as to which of those is right and that's a huge decision to make the next time that horse turns up at, at 12 furlongs right that's exactly right and here's here's a good example of what i think my figures are really good at is the the pegasus the the big race you know national treasure that was a that was a pace scenario where if you went from top to bottom in that field there was only like two horses that had really run anywhere close to a par late pace figure for that level at that distance and they had done it earlier in their form cycle their most recent race wasn't anywhere close to par so that was a fast pace that that actually really benefited national treasure because he was clearly from a late late pace perspective he was clearly going to be best of speed and his late pace number from the breeders cup mile wasn't that much slower than the deep closers so he's going to have an enormous tactical advantage and he's going to be able to probably outfinish those horses and that's what happened so he's going to get a lot of credit and be upgraded by a lot of players based on the fact that he set off a fast pace and still won when in reality that's exactly what that horse needed um because he could he could put away hoist the gold who was one of these like high fig phony horses that didn't finish at all and then he just had to beat you know buscador and croupy to the wire you know in hindsight i didn't really think i had a good opinion in that race and it didn't really dawn on me until about four o'clock on saturday <laughs> that i actually did have a pretty good opinion and the, and the way it came was pretty pretty logical from a pace perspective you had you know you had the logical closer running second to the best of speed horse in a, yeah. in a pace scenario where that was a very likely outcome. It's a good point. You're making me feel annoyed for not having it. How many times do we talk about, I usually talk about it in terms of horizontal bets. Mm -hmm. Wanted to try, you know, if I'm not totally narrowed down, if I have anything resembling a spread and any sort of uncertainty about the pace scenario, I want to have the best speed and the best closer. And there they, they, they I mean, you could almost, no one could even deny that the, 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 that was the to me that that was the best speed and the best closer, and I you know didn't did not uh, did not have uh, did not have that uh, exact uh, enough. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't have it at all. Um, and I, you know, in what did what did National Treasure go off at odds wise? This says no. This is the morning line. That's not going to be. Pull, I'm pulling the chart up right now. Let's see. Scared that he'd resent rating. He'd done so well alone. I just had no confidence. I was worried. I was worried 
Hoist the Gold would go on a mission and Pratt would know that that horse was going too fast and try to just sort of track him outside. But National Treasure, and I don't know why I didn't get this idea off the tape. It's just an idea I got in my head that he'd resent that and then maybe just not run his race at all. So I just, even though he was logical, I, I just, I didn't, I just used him as, as another, as another contender, you know? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. And that's something else I think, you know, having good full pace lines can help with is that, you know, he ran his Breeders' Cup race, you know, sort of told me that, that rating probably isn't going to be an issue. I mean, you never know until they really do it, but his, you know, his, the way he finished, off a pretty quick pace in the Breeders' Cup, um, you know, s- should should have said that that's that, just a horse that can stalk exactly him. that he could stalk and pounce it. You know, he was five to two. Um, yeah, not hideous, not not hideous. No, I mean, you, and you you, <laughs> you got a little. God, they made first mission out. Yeah, that was a terrible price on first mission. Was, yeah, was I mean, in hindsight, this was a this was a very bettable race that I just sort of slept through and didn't. You know, it's a it's a good sort of lesson to not get preconceived notions in your head before you really handicap a race. Because I had I had in my head that I just didn't want any part of this thing off a, off a glance. And when you really dig into it, this was a very bettable race. What looked bad about first mission in your your figures? I used him just like I used National Treasure. I didn't really like him, but I thought he was a contender just based on the figures. He he was just slow for me, like slow overall, slow, certainly late. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm going to pull the PPs up real quick. I got them right here. Um, One thing that leaps off the page to me that seems strange in the betting is, I I mean, I understand why he's always going to be bet more than trademark, but was it, was it like five to two, 20 to one in the end? Is that right? Um. Yeah, I mean, he was he was a tick below three to one. Trademark was twenty to one. Yeah, yeah, seems. Uh, yeah, so first first missions last race. Um, yeah, I mean, he ran an eighty-one late pace figure. I mean, that's you know another like decent figure for a final. Didn't finish at all. You know, just phony phony horse. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, they, they, the crowd went crazy. The crowd went crazy there. So you ended up, to clarify, making zero bets in the in the World Cup? Zero, zero bets, zero bets. I played that pick three, um, got live to, you know, like I said, six, six horses, I think, and missed. And then I really, really thought I had that race surrounded because I really didn't like warm heart. Although, as you and JK discussed the other day, as soon as they hit the first turn and, and – there was a brief second or two there where Gaffalione had a chance to not let Warmheart sit in the pocket and sit too wide at least. And when he let her in, that, that race was completely over. Yeah, I mean, um, she would have had to. Be but wrong. I just, uh, I just took my loss and watched the watched the big race just mainly because I wanted to see what uh, our friend Ballas's horse did. Right, right. Got ready for Hong Kong that night. Yeah, it makes sense from, from everything you're saying. Yeah, I mean it's 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 hard to know 
when you're not in a rhythm, you're not in rhythm right now. So if you were in rhythm and you were playing all the time, I think, you, you know, you hit that race nicely, but it, it's, it's the world being as it is. Sometimes it's much easier to sit here and, uh, and just look back. But, you know, obviously if you'd been playing regularly, I think that's a race you went pretty well in based on everything we're talking about that was evident in your numbers here. I do want to talk more about warm heart, but let's go back first to star fortress. Cause this was one, you know, I didn't trust the number either for coming out of uh, the, the Churchill race. But boy, if that number had been, if you trusted any of the published numbers on that, she was supposed to be so much shorter in price than she ended up being. She was tepid all the time and then goes off at three to one. The one thing that made me not want to fully, fully, fully be against her was th- despite the seemingly anomalous number was the fact that there were a few runbacks out of that Cardinal that ran the same numbers on time form and buyer anyway, that they ran up. They ran the same number out of the Cardinal as they ran in the Cardinal. It just left me not really knowing what to do with star fortress. It was a case where she was so cold in the betting that anything I was doing starting that race, I I would have leaned. I felt like that was market signal screaming that something wasn't right, but I think it's really interesting and worth talking about because that was such an impossible figure to make on November 23rd off turf, only turf race of the day. How did you even make a number for that? Just a guess. I mean, it's, you know, like you just said, it's virtually impossible. Um, The state of their turf course, the entire meet was just complete horse shit. Um, So janky is the word I've been using. Janky. 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 You know, I mean, quite frankly, it's embarrassing, but they, um, I don't, I'm trying to go back and just look at the, what I would typically do in that instance is just find the most recent turf races around that one and see if the weather was similar and whatnot, and then just use a variant, you know, use those variants as a guide on what to do with the star fortress race. Um, you know, we had that figure at like a 92, so it was not like not close to what the published figure was. Amazing. It's amazingly um, different. It's 16 points yeah. different. And the fact that, you know, what was the published figure? Wasn't it like 105 or something? Something like that. And time form was the same time form I'm looking at right now was 126. And the buyer was in line with that, maybe even higher. I was thinking the yeah, buyer wasn't it. I think initially it was even higher. The published figure was even higher. Maybe that, downgraded right? to 108, something like that. Yeah. So it's just for the published figures to be that high and for her to be the, the way she was on the board, like somebody knew something that that horse was not going to show up. Um, yes. That's sort of maybe, how I read the tote signal on that. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, she wasn't even the favorite in there. Yeah. That's um, why. So. Yeah, I mean, in instances like that, it's just, it's very hard. You just try to do the best you can, and you just sort of, you know, with commercial stuff, I, you know, they're hesitant to, like, put a question mark on it or, you know, put a note that says this is a projection, which I completely understand. But in, in our system, you know, we can put a question mark, we can put notes, we can, we, you know, we can alert ourselves to the fact that this is not a solid figure that you that you want to bet. Um, oh, that's so important. I think. I mean, I know what you're saying about why, especially why buyer doesn't do it 
because you know it's it's supposed to, it's the closest thing we have to a you know racing post rating right it's it's an official rating I, I i can see it from a buyer point of view but like it's weird because time form will do that occasionally they'll have question marks they don't even have a question mark and i think it's one of the best things you can do as a player and i used to do this you know when i was gambling a lot more and podcasting a lot less i was doing a lot more circuit in circuit legwork so like at saratoga at the end of the week i'd go back through all the published figures and basically, you know, try to look at like three of them, try to convert them to the same scale and then either include all three figures in my notes. I did that for a while. Or if not that, just put in almost like, like you're saying, like a degree of confidence, you know, like just make a note. If an anomalous figure like Star Fortress, I'd put in a note like confirm figure or Mm -hmm. something like, you know, something about the degree of, of, of confidence. I just, the other thing that threw me off, like I said, is that the runbacks, and the commercial stuff ran to make that figure look legit. So that kept me from wanting to be like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I mean, I could have made a call to England and later or something, um, but I didn't, I didn't feel confident enough to do that. You know, I mean, the problem with the run back thing is like, you know, if they've projected that figure, there's cascading effects of that. Yeah, that's a good point. That could lead to the next figures being projected and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. you know, I, it, and it's, you know, like everything else, it just comes down to price. Like I had, similar stuff on runbacks like the horses came out and ran faster on my stuff which would indicate that my figure could be too low you know but if she's eight to five you don't want to better if she's ten to one maybe you gamble on that you know if yes. there's something something else so and it's a all, lot of room for you to be a little low and the published figure to still be wildly off in the other direction too exactly exactly because you know ultimately you know if she's running you know, a 92 and Diddy is running a 94 or something like, I'm not just going to say, well, Diddy is faster by length. I have to bet her. Like there's other things that go into it, like the full pace line and position in today's race. And there's, you know, I, I don't, for me, unless it's extremely clearly the best figure, I'm not just always going to bet the fastest quote figure horse. Mm-hmm. There's, other shit that goes into it you know um and that's the right move because it's intellectually the right move it's also the right move because of the ridiculous amount of not really ridiculous amount but just the strong amount of signal that those published high figures have in the in the market you know what i mean like yeah. if you, you can't you can't do what everybody else is doing and get and get any kind of separation from the pack that's just sort of gambling 101 yeah, right. And, I, you know, back to the the published stuff and they're, you know, I don't really understand why they're so hesitant to to put a question on it. It's it's to me, it's just disingenuous. I mean, they, they acknowledge that they have difficulty making figures anyway. So why not just put it in the in the form? I mean, if your goal is to give a the best guide you can give to players and, you know, and even breeders and stuff like people make people buy horses purchases off yeah. of these figures. And, you know, there's, there's really no reason to me not to just say, well, this is a weird figure. This is a figure we have a question on. And maybe two weeks later, we won't have a question. We'll take it out of the, the paper, but now it's questionable. You know, I just don't, I just don't, I don't see the downside of doing it publicly, but 
you know, they, they obviously do. So that's, yeah. I mean, again, it's probably, buyer, it's probably better. Like, it's probably better for us that they, that they do that. Right. It was one of the few things where a little out. extra homework, few things where a little extra homework can pay off. Maybe I will ask Randy Moss that exact question or, or, you know, if, if we have Andy buyer on sooner, um, it's a great question to ask. I'd love to hear specifically vis-a-vis that figure, what the logic is in, in, you know, not pointing out more obviously that there is a, that there, that there's a, a question there. I mean, it's, and, and as for other products, like, um, you know, I, I think the sheets sometimes will have a question mark. I don't know if they did on the, I didn't actually look at sheets for this, these races. I don't know if they had a question by the, 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 the figure for star fortress. I almost said the, 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 a different horse in the same race that would have been really confusing, but, um, Anyway, it's 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 an interesting thing. Before we leave that race and go back to to warm heart to wrap things up, I'm just curious a little bit more. I mean, Diddy a very obvious in the race. I mean, best form basically very competitive for the best form and figures other than the anomalous Star Fortress. So not that didn't require a lot of um, creativity. But sounds like you had something a little bit extra based on the the component figures, maybe on her. She she was a she was a standout on on late pace stuff for me, um, and she her late pace figures were getting better and better even with that sort of seemingly even tenth in the in the Breeders' Cup. It was actually a she, really she, good race, I think. You know, that, really good. That's, that's one of the better tenth place finishes you're going to find. We'll ever see. Yeah, it's got um, that even on the time form pace line. You can see it's got that like. I don't know what you, I want to call it like a U shaped pattern where, you know, the figures earlier faster than she usually runs and her figure late was faster than she usually runs. Is that how it played out in your numbers too? Um, certainly late. I don't have, I don't have the early figures as fast as she typically runs. So we, you know, we may, we may be different on the early pace of that race. Um, but, you know, I just thought, I mean, she ran, you know, she ran a for, on my scale. She ran a one hundred and seven, which is about four or five, yeah, probably four lengths clear. You know, better than par at that at that level at that distance. Good race. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it was. You know, she's a really good example, I think, of of quote you know closers that that can be tactical when they need to be. I think that was a brilliant ride by Ortiz to, to get her in the race. And, you know, when she broke sharp, he didn't do what a lot of guys would have done and said, well, I'm on a deep closer. I need to wrangle her back. He just, he just let her run. And that was a, that was a really good ride. And it, you know, I've always sort of contended that these elite late pace horses can be tactical when they need to be. Um, like you'll see it in Hong Kong a lot where like a deep closer will make the lead and they'll actually send the damn horse um, sometimes. <laughs> and they, they, and they can still run that way. It's not like they're, you know, cause they're, they're just better animals, I think, than, than unproven horses late. Uh, but I, yeah, Didia was, I thought she was really impressive. Yeah. You have to think about it. I, I think people often think about, a running style in a backwards way where they think almost like the horse is beholden to being a certain position from the leader. I don't think that's true. I think a horse is beholden to the component sectionals that it runs. So in some races that that's saying, let's just, I'm just making up a number here, but let's say in some races, a 100 early 
I'm thinking of the time form scale here, so I can convert it to buyer. In some cases, an 80 early is going to put you 10 lengths from the, the leader. And then in other cases, it's going to put you two lengths from the leader. As long as the horse doesn't get too far out of its comfort zone, you're going to be okay. Where I find looking at component sectionals really helps is that horse that's been dominating with sectionals that you know today aren't going to be able to to, to get it done essentially. And you can, you know, we've talked about this before, situational handicapping. You could find just what's a bad situation. And a lot of those horses, mm-hmm. they look amazing, right? Cause they have these perfect trips and, and good looking tape and fast figures because they were able to be so comfortable throughout. Well, what's going to happen when they get out of their comfort zone. And, and I think what you've done here in the courses we're talking about today is identifying horses who at the superficial glance looked like they were going to be out of their comfort zone, but they really weren't. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of, a lot of the reason why Ryan Moore and some of these European guys can come over here and, and get some of the trips that they get is I think internationally horses are ridden to finish more for sure. Whereas over here, they're ridden more for speed early. Even on turf. Even on turf. Maybe not in New York anymore, but I think it's slowly changing in this country, honestly, because, you know, you, you still, you know, you watch some like dirt, you know, like the Breeders' Cup sprint, dirt sprint, you know, they, 20 years ago, they would send four horses because you're in a dirt sprint at Santa Anita. They don't really do that much anymore. Even in California, like the paces are fast, but it still takes more than two horses now to to generate a really fast meltdown type pace because the guys are riding differently than they used to. I swear um, it's the politics, the politics and the money involved. The, I think the old guys, they were just so competitive, maybe to a fault where they would be riding to beat the favorite. And just because they were so damn competitive. And because and it was more, you know, they weren't making the money they are now. Now there's so much money. And not only is there so much money, there's so much of a concentration of power in a few barns. Now, this doesn't explain it at the Breeders' Cup. That's a different animal. But as far as the New York thing goes, like you're just not going to ride to beat the Chad Brown or Todd Pletcher favorite the way Angel Cordero would have in 1982, because then you're going to be, you know, they have all the power. And so if you screw them, they're going to be mad at you. Whereas I swear Angel told me a story at dinner once about he would ride, you know, he was doing it not specifically to beat Shug McGahee necessarily or whomever. He was riding aggressively because that's what you did back then. You rode, you rode to win. If you're not going to win, you're going to probably try to make the favorite work extra hard. And by doing that, a lot of the big barns started using him back then. Because it was so competitive, all the horses weren't with four guys, so it was the dynamic was flipped, and it was almost like, oh, we got to go out and we've got to get this great jockey to ride for us. Now I feel like it's almost a, like a club situation where it's like, well, I'll tell you what, that guy tried to beat us, we ain't riding him, and I think that explains some of what we're talking about. It's a wild hypothesis that borders on conspiracy theory, but I'm not too sure it isn't right. No, I think there's, I think there's a lot to that. You know, I think. I do think training methods have probably changed a little bit too. I mean, you don't see, I I don't think you see nearly as many just all out bullet workouts as you used to do. I think guys are you know, training a little differently. Um, certainly 
you know, they don't enter horses like they used to, you know, it's lucky if you get an entry every six weeks out of some of these barns now, but I just think those kind of dynamics are changing and it, it, it's changing the pace and the way a lot of these races are being run, which, you know, horse players need to think about and try to factor into their handicapping. Few other pick up points on things we talked about. You mentioned about the foreign jockeys. I also don't think it's necessarily an accident. You look back at the charts of these turf races, and uh, not necessarily in the win positions, but you're seeing these, you know, best best turf riders in the world. You're seeing Dettori and, and Murphy, and they're they're guiding. Even if they're not winning, they're having impact on these races. They're getting ginormous long shots into the number. Uh, coincidence, or did, are they? Are they that much better that they can take a horse that's theoretically slower and still get them above and in the money against horses that are theoretically faster just based on their jockey skills? Yeah, I mean, they certainly could be. Um, you know, I don't I tend to I tend to think it's it's more the horses than, you know, I don't oh, know sure. if I necessarily agree that you know, jockeys can really pick a horse up and get it to do something it just can't do. But uh, I don't know. I mean, you, it is it is interesting that, that, you know, these guys, and maybe it's just the market. Maybe it's just, you know, the people are downplaying the foreign jocks, you know, because especially on a big public money day, like Pegasus Day or Derby Day or whatever, they just may not know much about Ocean Murphy yeah. or, you know, everybody knows Detori know, at this point, yeah. but. You know, Detori and you were still seeing him. I don't have all the charts in front of me. I was talking about it with JK on the other show, though, that, I mean, you know, like it could be randomness, but I, I, it's not just these days. I feel like watching Oshin and, and, and uh, especially at Gulfstream, but Detori too, they I, I think what it also might be is on the turf, there's not, there's just that, not that much difference to take aside the best horses. Let's look at the middle chunk of the race. We know who the best horses are. We know who the slowest horses are pretty much, but then let's say a 10 horse race from, from rate, from horses three through seven. I, I think the jockey is probably enough to get that horse that you'd rate seven into the third spot because there's just, you're not talking about five lengths difference. You're talking about two lengths difference to begin with. Right. Yeah, no, I think that that that's certainly possible. I, I, you know, it could also be like field size. Um, you know, the, a lot of our races are, are, you know, five and six horse fields a lot of the time and, and they're, you know, eight horses, but four of them are from the same barn. And that can affect pace dynamics and, and stuff like that yeah. to where, you know, these guys, you know, they might have a better feel for for pace dynamics running in some of the bigger fields internationally. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot that there's a lot of could be. It's, it's an interesting thing just to look at. I mean, I don't know that we'll be able to make money off it one way or the other, but at least for academic purposes, I thought it was worth throwing out there to get your theory. And not surprisingly, I mean, I think your point is correct. The most likely scenario is probably just that it's, it's all about the horse and these guys are ending up on the horse, but I don't know. It, it, it struck me particularly Saturday that it was worth maybe exploring a little bit more than that. If anybody out there has any work on this, I'd love to see it. The other thing I made a note on as you were talking was another just a benefit of the old of, of your way of doing figures and Mike's way of doing figures that I think is probably nowhere near as powerful 
as it once was, but that, that E1 figure made me, when you were talking about that and we were talking a little about the old days, it was making me think of, and I feel so bad. I can't give the guy credit, but uh, he was a betting partner of Roxy Roxborough's back in the day. And the killer app, I don't know how far back we're going here, probably eighties, but the killer app back then you could make money by basically making a figure or, you know, handicapping a race to the first call because double whammy of, you know, there's no computer models doing that already. Not that many people are doing that at all. And the other thing I'm imagining that coupled with it is more speed bias racetracks were just knowing who was going to be in front at the E1 was was valuable. Is that something, did you come along early enough that you were able to participate in some of that? And how and why has it changed today, if it has? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we used to, especially like old Turfway before the poly track, when it would get severely speed biased or the inner track at Aqueduct, you know, you'd almost handicap it braces exactly that way. Like who's going to make the lead? Um, you know, especially in like maiden claiming races or low level claiming races where they don't want to pass anyway, where they don't want to pass anyway. Exactly. Like who's, you know, who's, that's probably still valid today at some of these tracks. Um, but, or just like we talked about in the Pegasus race itself, like who's going to be best of speed in a race full of horses that aren't true finishers for the level. I mean, that's still a pretty powerful angle. Even though he didn't make the lead, we set right off it. Um, so yeah, no, we used to we used to do that all the time. And I mean, you've talked about your idea that bias isn't the factor it once was. So I assume that partially diminishes the value of it. And then my other hypothesis would just be it's just hard now because it's priced in because of the large right. numbers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's such an old angle at this point um, that it's it's certainly priced in for. For most situations, I still I still think there's outlier situations that it, that it you know gets slept on a little bit, um, and those are important. I mean, like, can you think of one? Well, I mean, honestly, you know, National Treasure. If you thought he could take that trip and withstand that pace, like five to two on him was a pretty damn good price. And in today's world, where you're really you know, the edge is so small a lot of times. Like if you can get five to two on a two to one shot, you, you almost got to take it. Um, oh, yeah. You know, so. Well, you know, your read of the race, though, he should have been like what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, and it, it's funny. I had a conversation actually with Matt Miller the morning of the Pegasus contest where he was very happy to had he had he. uh survived which he ultimately didn't to put his tournament life in in the hands of national treasure and i said mm-hmm. to him don't you think he might be a need the lead horse who's not going to get the lead and he was like maybe but if he runs back for he, he made his theory that he was going to get the exact trip that he got but then the other point he made is if you knew he was going to run the 106 isn't he four to five like and i couldn't i couldn't disagree with him when he said that right no that's exactly right i mean it's you know, in, in, in a contest, you know, theoretically, you can take the horse that should be four to five and get five to two on the tote and make it six to one with prize money. You know, that's the whole theory behind it. So, um, yeah, no, that's that's right. I mean, it's it's the, the edges are so small nowadays. You just 
you've got to be able to take it. You've got to take advantage of it when it, when it presents itself. And, and quite frankly, I made a big mistake in not doing that in, in that race. I mean, that could have been, that could have been a pretty good, pretty good outcome if I was really playing good and thinking good. Um, because it, it, you know, when I went back over it after the fact, I said, well, shit, you know, the, the, the obvious exact is the one that came in and the obvious kill horse in the try is the way that came in. And it paid almost 600 to one. The try did 35 to one, 34 to one in the exact. So, um, I wasn't smart you know, enough to with Kruppi. I, I was much more about, I like the idea of a, of a goofy long shot closer third, but I would have probably, I would have gone to your old Miracolo first, probably dynamic one second and, and maybe Kruppi third. I just wasn't smart enough to come up with him. Yeah, he had he had actually a little he had better finish than I didn't really like Il Miraculo at all. Um just from a from a finishing standpoint. He he was sort of a um phony finisher, I guess you is the way I would call it. I'm trying to pull his paper up there. Yeah. Below yeah, I had I had him declining and I had him not running great late pace figures really ever. Um, God. So he was yeah, he was an easy toss. Where where Kruppi had had improved his final and his late pace last time, so he he made a lot more sense in that role. But again, this is all hindsight. I wasn't smart enough to come up with this. You know, I wasn't smart enough to come up with this till like six thirty on Saturday. I needed to come <laughs> up with it at four thirty. I still think this kind of hand analysis is 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 you know quote unquote hand as in poker hand analysis is interesting and the type of stuff that we don't do nearly enough of and and you know you should do it when you lose and you should do it when you win we'd all be better players if we thought about, I mean, it's it's funny another edit we talked etiquette early in the show some people think it's bad etiquette to to talk about this you know the the whole idea you know there's some people for whom redboarding especially when you win is is a bad thing I think that's ignorant, honestly, in the big picture. Obviously, nobody wants to hear you doing it in a blustery, in-your-face kind of way. But if it's friends talking a few days after the races, isn't isn't this the perfect laboratory for learning? A hundred percent. And if you, if you're not doing this, then you're a losing player. There's no doubt about it. Like if you're if you're not doing stuff like this, and you are saying the jockey did this, the jockey did that, you, <laughs> you know, it's never your fault, then you're a losing horse player. That's just the way it is. Like, you know, and I've said this. I think multiple times talking to you, like every single day when I would drive home from the office at Keeneland, all I thought about was that day's bets, like what I did right, what I did wrong, you know, how it, how to improve on that. And, you know, that's, that's like the foundation of why I'm a good horse player is that kind of stuff. I mean, it, I mean, Quite frankly, that kind of analysis led to my BCBC win. Like, I, I don't get to where I got if I didn't go back through the past two or three BCBCs I'd played and figured out where I screwed up, figured out what kind of strategy was working, where my advantage was in those pools. Like, that's that's the whole reason I had that that score. Right. Before we finish up, I do want to talk deep about the Pegasus Terp. Let's start with Integration, a horse that you landed on. Um, I'm curious how he looked on your numbers. For me, looking at commercial stuff, I was a little bit scared of the idea that here was a horse who, on the commercial stuff, hadn't yet really run fast enough to win a race like this. Had every reason to believe that, that he might, 
Um, certainly a contender. I thought Brian's morning line guess of three to one. You know, I, I knew they were going to bet him a little bit more than that, but it seemed like about the right guess for a morning line person trying to make uh, make numbers work. I, I was shocked to see the difference being uh what was the difference in the end it was it was 6 to 5 compared to a fat 2 to 1 i think it was on warm heart yeah. I mean, even for you who didn't like warm heart i mean objectively isn't that a little wacky that you have a horse who just run you know we don't have a published figure for the uh in the usa pps for the for the shot tin race Time form did have a kind of a, a low one eleven, but you know the domestic race one twenty nine uh, on time form uh, one oh six. Like, how in the hell wasn't she the favorite? I, I still can't figure it out. Yeah, and and part of the reason I didn't like Warm Heart was because I thought these two prices would be reversed. Like I, right. you know, I anticipated even been, integration. If warm Heart was four to five. I wouldn't have been surprised. Not me either. And I that's that's what I anticipated. I mean, that's what I sort of thought. You know, she. She takes a runs a great race in the Breeders' Cup, runs overseas, comes back. You know, she had I, they just went crazy on integration. I, I thought, you know, five to two to three to one on him was was pretty good value, but even money almost was insane. What did you like about him though? As just even if at a regular contender price, was there something special in your numbers that didn't make you question the inexperience, et cetera? Yeah, he he had finished. Um, let me pull it up. He had run a one hundred three for me with a with a one hundred four late pace figure. Um, it was a it was another one of these sort of tricky turf figures. And I actually had a a buddy of mine text me maybe the day before and sort of said, "Are you sure about this? Are you sure about this number?" Um, and I said, and, "You know, I looked at it and I was like, yeah, I think you can bet it.'" Um, so he was just, he just looked like a really sort of rapidly improving young horse to me. But again, if I knew he was going to be even money and warm heart was going to be almost five to two, that's a different scenario. Um, I was glad to be alive to him for pretty good score, but there's, you know, I was also very glad that I didn't, you know, that I wasn't sitting there with, $20,000 in the contest that I had planned on betting all in on him at that price. You know, that would have completely changed, changed the math on that. So that, you know, yeah, that, that was a, that was a strange, uh, but you know what? I mean, like people love to bet undefeated, yep. seemingly improving young horses, that's especially with guys, especially with guys like Suge and Mandela and Pletcher. You know, when these guys are training horses like that, the the, the public goes insane for them. <laughs> even even in Hong Kong, like they 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 would just be all over a horse like this in Hong Kong with these big winning margins, and you know. So, I, I see. I can see why they bet it, but it's it is sort of surprising to me. I used Marshall's line on the other show just about. You know, for him, it was a question of where the where the fig, he didn't doubt that the figures were right, but it was a question of where they were earned. It's like you know, Aqueduct and Aqueduct and Colonial, and now you're running against Warm Heart. You know, like uh, let's see, let's see you do it first at at, at somewhere you know, a, a little more uh, known for producing a million dollar turf winners. Yeah, I can I can see that argument. I I, I don't necessarily agree with it, um, but I think in today's world with how 
strange some of the turf courses are now and the and the different rail settings and all this stuff like you do have to really scrutinize turf figures in particular especially at short prices like that so i don't i, I don't I and don't I think, think the price is factored into what he was saying. I don't think he would have made that yes. point had the price has even been reversed. But like at, at a certain point, it just gets, you know, it, the, 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 that idea of there was a question of the form of some of those races or the class with some of those races. Clearly, the market didn't even didn't even question it for a minute. And, you know, old school turf handicappers, especially, you know, turf, what is it? Turf on turf on the ground, turf on the on class on the turf and, and lay pace. And it mm-hmm. just it, Felt like you know maybe late pace was factored in a little bit there, but uh, maybe the certainly the class wasn't. I mean, this is warm heart, <laughs> you know, this is, right? I mean, a, a legitimate yeah. international group one type yeah. horse was coming in. Yeah. yeah, it's the horse that's run three times at Aqueduct and, and 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 Colonial, and you're making that one the the heavy heavy favorite. It's 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 interesting, and I'd be saying this after the race. Actually, what I'd be saying after the race if it proved out was. Well, somebody knew something. I, I would have attributed to uh, to 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 like, um, yeah, to some. It, w- it would have been a they knew for me, you know. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually think that horse ran a pretty good race, all things considered. He, where did he end up? Third. Uh, he ran. He ran fifth, but I think he had some trouble in the lane um, when he was trying to accelerate. He sort of couldn't, and you know, I. I'm not saying I want to. I'm. I'm not clamoring to bet him back at another short price, but I, I don't think that was as bad a performance as it initially seemed like it was. He could be a. He could be a. He could be a bet back. You know, the bloom goes off the rose very quickly for people. I do want to get into. You know, we both acknowledge the obvious here. Warm heart. You know, classic winner, fastest horse, best form. Um, so why were you against her? Well, I, you know that Chatin race, the pace was unbelievably slow and she got a perfect trip and you know seemingly like second or third tier europeans just ran over the top of her and ultimately like when i looked up her pace line from hong kong versus her pace line in the breeders cup she just declined and i'm you know i'm not betting a horse that's declined at a short price um so that's basically all it was. And it's, you know, uh, one of the rare times where I can use my figure making in Hong Kong here in the States and have right. an advantage. Right. It doesn't happen very often. So that was the whole sort of theory behind being against her was just uh, to me, she should have finished much better given the pace scenario of that shot 10 race than she did. Um, but, you know, it was interesting. I was texting back and forth with Eric Bialik, um Saturday, and he had he said something about, you know, Warm Heart being maybe more suited to, you know, Gulfstream, Santa Anita, those type of turf courses. And I went back and looked, and the, the variant that day at Sha Tin was pretty low. It was a pretty slow turf course. I don't remember if it had moisture in it i don't think it did but it it just wasn't like like super firm i guess would be my my point and so like there might maybe there's something to that maybe the ground in hong kong didn't suit her look at her signature look at her signature win in the in the in the oaks right i mean that's left-handed 
firm ground right there. Yeah. And then, you know, underperformed at the current and soft wins on class and, and runs well, uh, obviously at, uh, at Longchamp. And then, but I mean, the, the race in the, in the pre, that was the pre meal. And then, you know, the breeders cup just, I mean, that's, looking at figures i mean that's her that that's the best race even though in spiral got the better of her so i i love that point actually and 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 that was maybe enough to to carry her back she didn't run the figure she ran you know she did certainly decline compared to her philly and mare turf you weren't you weren't wrong about that that she wasn't in that form anymore but she also didn't need to be exactly yeah i mean yeah exactly like she you know she beat catnip by half a length so right like, I don't, I don't think I was ultimately wrong in the analysis. I yeah. was, I was wrong about the price she was going to be. Um, and I, I really didn't, I, sh- I probably should have seen Ryan Moore doing something brilliant, but I mean, <laughs> that was a hell of a ride. Um, it was so, great. It was inspiring. Yeah, it, really was. it was very, very exciting stuff. All right. I, th- I think we've given the people uh, enough stuff to, to chew on here until we decide to do our next pro player diary, unless you have anything else you want to get off your chest. No, I guess that's it. That's, you have a Super Bowl opinion? If you, you're going to bet that game at all? Um, what's the line? I th- last I saw, it was uh, San Fran minus one. It's basically a pick. Yeah. yeah, you know, I'm. I don't really subscribe to the bet Mahomes at all costs theory. Um, I'm starting so I, I to. Think, I'm starting to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you know. Not that he isn't great, but I think if he beat me two weeks in a row, <laughs> if yeah, yeah, but you know, on the on the on the data that I look at, which isn't admittedly isn't much for the NFL, but like San Francisco is a better overall team, yes. and I think you know you're supposed to bet bet the overall team, and you might be getting a half point to a point better line in your favor just because of the Mahomes factor, especially as we get closer to the game. Like there'd be a lot of public money that that'd want to bet against Mahomes. Um so you know I would be on San Francisco probably. But yeah. it's I don't uh, think I think almost on principle at this point. I can't now you know I made my hedge bet. I did my cut hedge bet and uh we gotta get you on there. You'd you'd have you'd have fun tra- talking trash and challenging JK to various bets. You you you, you download that app. But the um, so, yeah, I just I got spooked enough. Really, what happened to me is that this is totally a conversation we could be having off air. So I don't I won't hate you listeners if you turn this off by now, but we're going to have this conversation anyway. So we we may as well record it. I, I got a little bit spooked at how much better, you know, watching KC during the year. It just seemed like they didn't have the other offensive weapons. And and I didn't even really the Miami game didn't move the needle for me. The The Buffalo game did. That looked like a totally different team. So then, I, and I had such, I had a good, terrific equity on that uh, on the Super Bowl on the Super Bowl exacta Super Bowl Cornellas. So I just figured, you know what? It's gonna like it's gonna put me in an actual like bad mood if I lose this. And I, you know, I can spend you know several hundred here just to just to get out. Um, and if I whatever it, but now it would seem ridiculous to after having tried to beat him two weeks in a row to jump on the bad wagon. It seems like sort of classic uh, miss miss the wedding, turn up for the funeral type type stuff. The best way to bet the Super Bowl this year might be to buy a bunch of Super Bowl squares in a pool and just root for uh, root for some random numbers. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's I just don't know exactly, and I'm not a 
I'm not a sports better, and I, I really barely even watch the NFL anymore. But I pay, you know, I pay attention to outcomes and stuff a lot more than I watch games. But like, you know, winning in Buffalo, like three quarters of the way through the season, Buffalo was just a borderline playoff team. Yep. So yeah, I know they went on the road and they won at Buffalo, but like, how fucking good actually was Buffalo? Eh, we don't really know. I know they were playing okay, but and then. You know, Baltimore just shit all over itself. So it was very disappointing. You know, <laughs> I I just the the Mahomes as the greatest quarterback of all time narrative is really fucking ramping up, and I think you just bet against those narratives until you it's made a narrative. I know you, and you, you love to well, create you, a because it gives you it gives you value. It gives you yeah. value in in every market in the world in anything. Yeah. Like if <laughs> you know in any zero sum game if there's a group of people that believe something that's not necessarily true and, and that creates that creates equity so um you know i saw something the other day about like yeah we've really we've really got to have this conversation that that mahomes is, is better than tom brady at this point and somebody responded by saying well, like didn't brady kick his ass the last two times they played including in the super bowl the last time they mm-hmm. so you know Maybe slow the roll on that one. Maybe, I mean, maybe just a little. I mean, <laughs> seven years, seven well, championship games isn't bad, though. No, the guy's a phenomenal quarterback, but I'm just talking about like the greatest of all time. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> there, there's a guy out there who retired two years ago that has seven Super Bowl wins, <laughs> not appearances, <laughs> you know, and, and his last one was against you and they killed you. So, <laughs> you know. I, and also, like, the Mahomes wasn't o- able to overcome a dominant defense in that Super Bowl. So, like, if San Francisco's defense really is a dominant defense, why is he going to do it this time? Just because Taylor Swift's going to be there and Travis Kelsey's <laughs> in love? Eh, I don't know. Maybe not. You're convincing me to bet San Fran, which is what I wanted to do anyway. I, I, think, I think I just convinced myself, too. So I'll probably, two weeks from now, I'll be like, shit, I lost $1,000 on the Super Bowl for some dumb reason. <laughs> <laughs> great stuff buddy All you right, know what is great about you know what's great about the super bowl though pete you'll appreciate oh. this is three days ago my 10 year old daughter wants now she wants to watch the super bowl and it's only because of taylor swift so i can sit there <laughs> i can watch the super bowl with her and she's gonna she's gonna be into it she's asked me for three weeks now like did the chiefs win are they going to the super bowl is Taylor Swift going to be there? I was like, I, I don't know. But best marketing ever. A pretty good chance. Yeah, I saw ever. something yesterday that they've estimated she's added $330 million in value <laughs> to the Chiefs in the NFL just in the last like eight weeks. Like, And then everybody's mad about it for some reason. It's very yes. odd. That is hilarious. That's that's really funny. Speaking of which, I just realized I'm gonna have to. I think I'm gonna have to go to screen for the Super Bowl because you know they're doing this Nickelodeon. They're doing this Nickelodeon Super Bowl thing this year, which which might be half about uh, Taylor Swift. So that's that's ooh, that's interesting. I'm sure parents gonna want to watch that broadcast to watch you know Pat Mahomes get slimed and whatnot. Let's talk about genius marketing. That was a, the first game she ever watched. I told the story on air years ago, and it was so funny. Of course, because Twitter was pissing all over. Why do they have this? Blah blah blah. But they don't have it for you. 
50 year old in, in, in mom's basement. They have it because mm-hmm. he made an eight year old girl stay to stick to and, and watch an entire NFL game and ask me when the next one was. It's like the best marketing in the world. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Like my, my girls and my wife care a hell of a lot more about the puppy bowl than they do the Super Bowl, <laughs> but it gets them engaged. Um, they, you know what they, the NFL ought to put a, a camera in the box where Jason Kelsey and Taylor Swift are going to be sitting and just stream that on a third channel and do it on like a 10 second delay in case Brittany Mahomes does something fucking stupid and just air it. Cause that would, you talk about ratings. You're absolutely, I can't, this might be in the works already. I mean, that, that would be that, that might outrate, um, you know, the actual game itself. Oh. It honestly might. I mean, you get, you know, everybody would watch i'd watch that more than the game probably oh tremendous all right well we will uh, i don't know when we'll be back I, I like that we just leave it loose right when we're feeling when there's a story to tell sean borman comes back to the in the money airwaves that's basically how we're going to leave it right uh and, yeah. and then we'll, you know, it'll be fun you're going to do the derby prep weekends and such right so there'll be there'll be opportunities sooner rather than later I, i'm a, i'm putting words in your mouth but i'm assuming knowing you 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 won't be able not to look at these races after if not before yeah yeah i'm starting to i'm starting to get more engaged um and and yeah and here in the next few weeks i'll start paying more attention to the u.s and there'll be plenty to talk about i'm sure i'll screw some bets up we could analyze um, (laughs) that was maybe i'll (laughs) the whole first season of this show was you saying well let me tell you how i screwed up this bet but it ended well (laughs) it really we couldn't have scripted that much better i don't think (laughs) It was pretty great arc. Oh, amazing. All right, my man. It's good talking to you. Absolutely. For Sean Borman, I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos. <laughs>